0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. All I can say is what have we done to deserve a voice like that? My gosh anybody else feeling what I'm feeling right now? I mean, Jen has been singing here at our church for the past 25 years. I've listened to her over and over again. I, I'm aware and know what she's capable of doing, and still I'm blown away by how God ministers through her. Thank you, Jen. Uh, what a tremendous song and what a, a tremendous ministry and, and a theme to that song. Once again, a good morning and welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you here this morning. I trust that you are off to a good start this weekend following our fast. As Dave has already said, you know, we've been fasting for 12 days. Uh, we're back to eating again. Hopefully not the same pattern of eating that we had late December. Uh, But it's been a a great time in the presence of God and really, again, just echoing what David said, feel like like God is going to direct us here in a special way this year. All right, two weeks ago on the first Sunday of 2019, we started a brand new series entitled Love Like This. And the goal of this series is to genuinely, uh, the important word being genuine, to genuinely emulate the love that God expressed and revealed to us, that Jesus revealed to us during his earthly ministry. And the reason that we would want to do that, the the reason we would want to model his love or to show his love is because he asked us to. In fact, he instructed us to do that. As I've been telling you over the last couple of weeks, in uncharacteristic fashion, Jesus didn't just suggest it or recommend it. He demanded it. In fact, in John chapter 15 and verse 12, here's what Jesus said, a new command I give you, here's my command. Again, not a recommendation, it's a command. Love each other as I have loved you. Not love each other, you know, try your best to get along with one another. You know, connect with each other when, uh, you know, it's good and you're able to do it, period. But no, love each other as I have loved you. That's what we're after. To try to bump ourselves off of dead center, reestablish and refocus a different mindset, and be able to embrace this incredible attribute and gift that God has given to us called his love. To have that same sacrificial, unconditional love permeating and operating in our lives that operated through Jesus Christ. That's our goal for this series. And two weeks ago in lesson number one, we learned that Jesus loved people by accepting them. And he accepted everyone, including sinners and outcasts that most people rejected and passed judgment on. No, Jesus connected with those people. Jesus embraced those kinds of people and he loved them. And then last week in lesson number two, we learned that Jesus loved By listening, he listened to people. Even though he was the epitome of wisdom and understanding. And long before he was ever born, he earned the title Wonderful Counselor, which put him in position to give people the best advice possible. Still, there were times when Jesus chose to be silent, to be quiet. And he didn't speak. He didn't interrupt people. He didn't dominate the conversation every time. He wasn't always about telling people where they were wrong and instructing them and telling them what to do. No, sometimes he just listened. He just let people talk. And he didn't just listen with his ears, he listened with his heart. And it was a healing flow to people. And I told you last week, sometimes listening is more productive than speaking. And we want to love people the same way. And so I gave you five practical skills for listening. Uh, Do you remember any of them? I'm going to give them to you again. You know I am. But I'm wondering if you ever even put any of them to practice in the last couple of days. Okay, here they are. Five practical listening skills that will help you to listen. Number one, maintain eye contact or pay attention when you're engaged in a conversation, which I told you means you have to probably put your phone away. Number two, listen more than you talk. All right? Give people equal opportunity to share. You know, oftentimes I'm involved in a conversation. At the end of the conversation, somebody will say to me, are hey, you okay? Everything okay? You're a little quiet. Yeah, the reason I was quiet, I want to say, is because you didn't stop talking. You know, some people may appear to be quiet at times. They can't get a word in edgewise. So listen more than you talk. Number three, seek to understand. You know, we learned last week that most people, they are listening in order to respond. How about we just listen to understand, to try and really feel what the other person is going through. Number four, resolve conflict, not create it. Uh, every conversation doesn't have to end in an argument or you making sure that everybody knows exactly where you stand on everything. The number five, increase relationship. That's what we want to do. Through our, uh, our ministry with each other, listening and talking and having a connection, we want to increase relationship. So today in lesson number three of the series, I want to talk to you about the subject of forgiveness. Say that. Forgiveness. Jesus loved people by forgiving them. So he loved people by accepting them. He loved people by listening to them. And now I'm going to talk to you about the way that Jesus was able to show his love and compassion to others by forgiving them. And he didn't just teach us to forgive. He didn't just instruct us or tell us to forgive. He modeled that. He forgave the people who offended him. The people who mistreated him. And he forgave everyone. Everyone. Jesus forgave the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the chief priests and elders who hounded him and hated him without a cause. And they conspired against him. He forgave every one of them. Jesus forgave Pilate who condemned him to death knowing that he was an innocent man, that he hadn't done anything worthy of death. Jesus forgave the Roman Praetorian guards who were so motivated by anger that they physically abused Jesus and beat him within an inch of his life. Jesus forgave the multitudes in the crowds who turned their backs on him after he had ministered to them and and showed compassion and fed them and performed all kinds of miracles. He forgave his, his own family members, his brothers and sisters, his relatives who did not believe in him, rejected him, thought he was nuts, Jesus forgave his own disciples, uh, starting with Simon Peter, who disowned him. Not one time, but three times. And he also forgave Judas, who, believe it or not, betrayed him with a kiss. A kiss. And I know all of this. I know that forgiveness was in his heart. Because right after Jesus was nailed to the cross, as he hung there on the cross... Enduring all of that punishment and pain, the very first words out of his mouth were all about forgiveness. And when you read the Gospels and you read the time that Jesus hung on the cross, those six hours from 9 o'clock in the morning until 3 o'clock that evening, Jesus made seven powerful, meaningful statements. He said to the thief that was crucified next to him, I tell you the truth, this day you'll be with me in paradise. He said to his mother and the disciple John, woman, behold your son, and John, behold your mother. A short time later, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he said, I thirst. And then close to the end, he said, it is finished. And then father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But prior to making those six statements, and they all have tremendous meaning, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Not only was there forgiveness in his own heart, not only was he thinking about forgiveness from the moment he was nailed to that cross. But he also asked his father to do some forgiving. And not to hold anyone's sin against them. Not to hold their charge against them. So if we want to love like Jesus, and that's really what we're going after with this series, if we want to do that, then we have to learn How to forgive. If we're going to walk in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, and we're going to embrace this kind of unconditional love that he showed to us, we have to be willing to let go of the offenses of others. And why would we do that? Why would we release offenses and extend forgiveness to someone who has hurt us? Well, one reason and one reason only. I mean, there's a bunch of reasons, but at the top of the list, Jesus forgave us. God extended forgiveness to us. Do you remember that? You know, sometimes after we uh, become Christians, and after we're saved for a little while, we, 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 we forget the condition that we were in. You know, when we are alienated from God and we're, you know, we're far from God and, and, and there's an emptiness there and there's, there's a hollowness in our lives and we, don't, we lack purpose and all that, and then God comes into our lives, we forget how we used to be. We forgive others We take that chance and and get out there on the thin limb because God forgave us. The scripture says when we were dead in trespasses and sins, when we had turned our back on God, when we disowned him just like Simon Peter did, that's when Jesus went to the cross and died for us. Didn't wait for us to get our act together. He went to the cross when we were all messed up. And he received... Uh, he paid full price for our sins. We receive full pardon for our sins. Uh, don't look now, but that's forgiveness. Amen. That's what forgiveness is all about. Us being cleansed from all of our unrighteous and all of our sin. And Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says, For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his dear Son, the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All of our sins, faults, failures, all of our debt paid, it's gone. That's a pretty significant motivator, what God has done for us. Now, please believe me when I tell you that I understand that forgiveness is one of those extremely difficult subjects to deal with. I know that from experience. I've been offended and I have wittingly offended others. I know how difficult of a subject this is, especially when the reality of offense is still very painful. When there's a lingering pain, and I'm talking about one that goes on for years and years, maybe even for a lifetime. I know how difficult it is for us to deal with this issue of forgiveness And you can tell, too, because when it gets real quiet in the room, you know it's an area that God is putting his finger on. It is not an easy matter today to deal with the offenses of people. It's just one of those things that we have to work at really, really hard. And so I know that this is not... Uh, one of those subjects that we can just get into and get out of right away without giving it much thought. In fact, uh, the first message, week one, was a little on the challenging side, and I knew week three was going to be extremely challenging, so that's why I threw that little practical lesson in between. It kind of lets you off the hook a little bit. But this is an issue that God is speaking to our hearts about. The Holy Spirit is saying some things to us. If we're, going to, if we're going to love like Jesus, we have to learn how to forgive people. We have to learn how to deal with offenses because they come all the time. And so, as we talk about this, I, I'm sorry, I can't sugarcoat it. Can't sugarcoat this message. Can't water down the biblical instruction that God has given to us to let go of offenses toward other people. But what I can do is I can make every effort to soften the blow to soften the blow of the instruction that we've been given. That's what I want to try to do this morning. And so instead of appearing insensitive to your pain and sounding like I'm slamming my fist down on the desk and saying, hey, the Bible says do this, so you better do it, instead of you hearing that, I don't want you to hear that coming from me today. Instead of you thinking that I could care less about what you've been through, And all I'm telling you is the Bible gives us instructions to do this. What I want to try and do is present to you two different stories, two redemptive stories in the Bible, and by reviewing these two stories, I'm hoping that the content of these stories coupled with the anointing of the Holy Spirit will help bring a healing breakthrough for you. Especially for those of you who have done everything that you possibly can to work through some of your offenses and you try desperately, and this is something that you want, but you just can't get there. I'm believing that today's service, from start to finish, not just this message, for everything that's been involved in the service so far, that it will contribute to you receiving a breakthrough. And you know, when we spend some time in prayer and fasting, That's what we think is going to happen. That's what we expect is going to happen. The scripture tells us that that these two dynamics of prayer and fasting, when they work together, they're powerful. So we've been praying. We've been fasting. We've been bringing our requests before the Lord and seeking him with all of our hearts. We've been diligent. And so I believe without fail that God is going to bring some breakthrough today. So I'm going to ask you, as I go through these two stories, to just open your heart to God. You know, it would be easy, uh, once you hear me use the word forgiveness, to just tune out and say, you know, uh, been there, done that, I've tried that, it's not working. Let's not do that today. Let's ask together, let's ask the Holy Spirit to do something in our hearts that would be way different than that's ever been done before. It's not going to come from me, I'm not going to be able to do the work we are desperate for the Holy Spirit to do something in your heart. Okay, the first story is found in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 48. Here's what happened One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to the home, he went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain sinful woman, a what? When a sinful woman heard Jesus was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt down behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him because she's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Jesus said a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, and so she has shown me much love, but a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. Now, as we reflect on this first story for just a moment, I want to remind you that this was not a parable that Jesus used to illustrate truth. He did that often. During a sermon, he'd be inspired, he would tell a story, it was a riddle or a parable, and he used that parable to try and get people to continue to think about what he was saying so they could pursue God. This is not... That occasion. This is not a parable. This actually happened. This is a life story. A Pharisee by the name of Simon asked Jesus to come over for dinner. Jesus agreed. And while they were there having dinner, that's when this woman came. And I absolutely love this story. Because here in Luke chapter 7, we have a very dramatic and descriptive picture of what a repentant heart looks like. And now I'm talking about someone who genuinely repents before God. Someone who is sorry for their sins. Someone who has an understanding of just how offensive their sin is toward God. And that picture of a repented heart is one of humility, meekness, and deep gratitude. You see, when a sinner comes into contact with the reality of God's love and forgiveness, there is an undeniable, unmistakable response. And here in this story, this sinner, the one that Jesus said had many sins, she showed us that response in living color. How many of you could tell from the words that we read here, the text, she was sorry for her sins? something moved her deeply. In fact, do you know how many tears it takes to wash the desert dust off of someone's feet? Do you know if the scripture is being accurate here and Jesus said she washed his feet and wiped them with her hair, how much water must have come out of her face? You know, years ago, after I got saved... I had a revelation of the cross of Jesus Christ, where for the very first time in my life, I understood what Jesus did for me. For me. I knew what he did. I was raised in a religious home. I went to church from the time that I can remember. And I knew the story. Uh, The greatest story ever told. I, I knew on Good Friday that Jesus went to the cross and he died there for the sins of the world. I knew he was buried and three days later he was alive again. But there came a time when for whatever reason, God revealed that truth to me and I embraced it. And I understood that Jesus died on the cross for my sins because he loved me. And on the day that that happened, even though I wasn't what you would call an emotional guy at the time. I cried like a baby. Could not stop bawling. I'm talking uncontrollable weeping. It went on and on and on. I could not hold the tears back. And for the next few weeks and months, every time I went to church and every time I got myself in the presence of God, I began to cry. Maybe some of that has happened to a few of you. You see people walking up and grabbing Kleenexes. It's not always because they just sneezed. (laughs) Or they have a running nose. Here it is some 43 years after that revelation and still I find myself in the presence of God shedding tears. Why is that? Why does that happen? Because my heart continues to respond to God with increasing awareness of what he revealed to me years and years ago. When he allowed me to understand in the spirit, not just in my head, but in my heart, that he died on the cross, he forgave me of my sins, and he saved me from a godless eternity. That's what the scripture says. We just read it in Colossians. We were destined for hell, and he bailed us out of that. I remember that. I haven't forgotten that. It's something that comes to my mind all the time. And in our story, that's precisely what happened to this gal, the sinful woman. She came into contact with the forgiveness of Almighty God, and it changed her life. She understood what was happening in her heart, and she showed God how much. She showed Jesus how much that meant to her. She was experiencing his mercy and his forgiveness and his love. Unfortunately for Simon, he didn't get it. Simon didn't understand it. He despised this woman. He could only see her sin. He was incapable of showing her or releasing forgiveness to her because he did not know how much forgiveness had come his way. He didn't understand it. He didn't realize it, or if he did, he had forgotten about it. See, when you read between the lines here, Simon, he identified more with the debtor who had only had a few pieces of silver forgiven—the fifty pieces. Definitely not like this gal who had the five hundred pieces of silver forgiven. He only saw a little debt. And so he only loved a little. And it was impossible for him to extend forgiveness to anyone else because he did not understand the huge price tag that was on his own forgiveness. See, here's what we learned from story number one. Here's the takeaway. The only way that you could ever extend healing mercy, forgiving mercy to anyone else is by being reminded on a daily basis how much mercy God has extended to you. Now, we all say that his mercies are new every morning and thank God for it. But do we acknowledge where we would be without his mercy? And so let me say it again. The only way that we can extend forgiveness and mercy to somebody else is by first Acknowledging on a daily basis just how much mercy has been coming our way. And when you do that, when you remember his mercy, forgiveness becomes a lifestyle. I'm going to say that again because you probably have never heard that before. Forgiveness becomes a lifestyle. I didn't hear it until just a couple of weeks ago when the Lord whispered it to me for the very first time. And basically said, check this out. Forgiveness is not an event by event decision. It's a way of life. It's a way of life. It's what Jesus taught. When Simon Peter came to him, uh, recorded in Matthew chapter 18, and not Not the Simon, not the Pharisee in our original story, but this was one of Jesus' disciples, another guy by the name of Simon. He came to Jesus in Matthew 18, 21. Here's what he asked. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? To seven times? Jesus answered, not seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, 490 times or every time. Every time is a lifetime. Every single time. Now, chances are you're not going to be offended 490 times. I sure hope not, at least not by the same person. But even if you're offended once, even if someone sins against you one time, betrays you one time, does something to hurt you one time, just once, and it hurts real bad, you'll probably think about it 490 times. Chances are you're going to think about it 490,000 times. And Jesus was teaching us here, every time you think about it, every time it comes into your mind, pray for the grace and the mercy to let it go. You see, forgiveness doesn't mean you're going to forget. Chances are, in some situations, you're never going to forget. But a lifestyle of forgiveness will set you free it will set you free. And that leads me to story number two, a story that most of you should know. It's the Old Testament story of Joseph. And I'm going to recap it in just a couple of minutes, but first what I'd like to do is read the end of the story. Do you know that story, story of Joseph? Okay, Genesis chapter 50. Let's read just a couple of verses here. This happened at the very end of the story. It starts in Genesis chapter 37. Okay, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead... They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Do you see how this was a horrible thing that Joseph's brothers did to him? Now please forgive their sins. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. And Joseph stayed in Egypt along with his brothers or his father's family. All right, here we have... Joseph genuinely forgiving his brothers, and the scripture tells telling us that they live in Egypt happily ever after. Well, at least they made amends. Joseph forgave his brothers who gravely mistreated him. And again, this is great reading. If if you're looking for something to read, go to the end of Genesis. Start with Genesis chapter 37 and read this entire account. There are so many lessons to be learned here. Joseph was able to forgive his brothers. And this is incredible considering what they did to him. I mean, he pleaded with them. And they did not listen, they refused to let him off the hook and give him a break and they hurt him really badly. Again, most of you know this story but let's go through it real quickly, I'm not gonna bore you to tears hopefully. When Joseph was just a teenager, 17 years old, God gave him a dream, in fact he gave him a couple of dreams for the future. Led Joseph to know and to believe that he was called of God and had a a, a mighty, a tremendous call upon his life. He shared it with his brothers. They rejected it. He shared it with his dad. His dad embraced it. As a result of this connection that Joseph had with God, Jacob, his father, favored him over all the other brothers. And as a result, Joseph became a little bit of a brat. He would tell on his brothers, and whenever they'd do something wrong, he'd get them in trouble. But his dad loved him so much, he gave him a special robe. They called it the coat of many colors. And the scripture tells us, because of the special relationship that Joseph had with his dad that was closer than all the others, they hated him. And they wanted to kill him. Now, I have younger brothers. I, I know the feeling. Yeah. But they took it a little bit too far. They actually planned his death. They wanted to get rid of him. So one day they threw him in a desert pit and they were going to leave him there. I mean, just forget about him. But one of the older brothers talked them into selling Joseph to a a group of Midianites passing by. And they actually sold their brother into slavery. How much hate is involved to do something like that? They went back home and told dad. They they showed him his coat of many colors. They added the color red to it, blood. They killed a goat from their own flock and told dad that a ferocious beast, some kind of an animal, uh, came out from the wooded area and attacked him. And now Joseph was dead. And so after they had said this, and they kind of got past it, they congratulated each other. Joseph was out of the picture. They figured they probably would never hear from him again. Wrong. The plot thickens. The Midianites take Joseph down to Egypt. He's purchased by a wealthy man by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar uh, puts him to work in his house as a slave. And here is Joseph, a teenager, uh, taken from his home, heartbroken, can't believe what his brothers did to him. And now he's a slave in another land and in somebody else's house. But the, uh, the scripture says that the hand of God was on Joseph. And that's a pretty big deal when that happens. In fact, God favored him so much that Potiphar uh, couldn't believe it. Potiphar saw that uh, the blessing of God was on him, and everything that Joseph did was right. So Potiphar immediately promoted him uh, to rule over his entire estate. I mean, he was calling the shots, telling everybody what to do. And everything was going great for Joseph there in Potiphar's house until Potiphar's wife attempts to seduce him. And when he refuses her offer, that's when she c- accuses him of sexual assault. So as you can, th- as you can imagine, Potiphar, uh, he's ticked about it. He's, he's infuriated. And so he has Joseph thrown into prison. In fact, he's in the same prison, the royal prison, where Pharaoh puts all of the servants uh, that kind of get him upset. But for the second time, the scripture tells us they're in prison God was with Joseph and the hand of God favored Joseph and everything he did was blessed by God there in that prison cell God did not abandon him there even though he was there and he was innocent and for the second time he was promoted Because the warden put him in charge of the entire prison. Now he's telling all the guards and everybody else what to do. And during the time that he's imprisoned, one of the pharaoh's servants, one of pharaoh's servants, the cupbearer, is locked up for doing something wrong. And the pharaoh had threatened to kill the cupbearer. And the cupbearer had a dream one night, and he told Joseph about it, and Joseph interpreted the dream. And Joseph told the cupbearer, it's a pretty good dream for you because in three days, the Pharaoh's going to have a change of heart and he is going to restore you back to your original position. You are going to be exonerated. But do me a favor, cupbearer, when you get back to see the king, tell him about me. Let him know that I've been falsely accused. I'm here in prison, rotting away. I don't belong here. And the cupbearer assured Joseph that he would do that. He promised him, as soon as I get out of here, I'm going to tell the Pharaoh about you. We're going to get you out of this prison cell. But he didn't do it. He forgot all about it, never gave Joseph a second thought. And Joseph was there in prison for two more years. And remember, he wasn't guilty of anything. He's in that prison cell. Didn't deserve to be there. Thirteen years of servitude passed when you count the time in Potiphar's house and the time in prison. Thirteen years away from his family. Thirteen years of thinking about what his brothers had done to him and how he ended up in a prison cell. Uh, Can you imagine what was going through his mind? Finally, the Pharaoh himself has a dream, and it's more of a nightmare than a dream. It really bothered him. He tells all of his officials about the dream, looking for somebody to kind of help him out and interpret the dream. Nobody could do it. And that's when the cupbearer remembered, hey, there's a guy in prison. He knows how to interpret dreams. His name is Joseph. So Pharaoh goes and fishes Joseph out of the prison, brings him before his throne, tells him the dream that he had, and Joseph interprets the dream for the Pharaoh. Joseph tells him, God has given you a great gift. Because seven years from now there's going to be a tremendous famine in the land and all of Egypt will be destroyed and the known world with it. But God has given you this information so you can prepare yourself and over the next seven years save some food and some grain and put it away and come up with a plan to save Egypt. And for the third time in Joseph's life, God was with him. And Pharaoh saw it. Pharaoh acknowledged it. And he said to Joseph, you're going to be that guy to mastermind this plan. And he put Joseph in charge of the next seven years of saving Egypt. Joseph goes from prisoner, in one day from prisoner to Prince Joseph. Seven years later, when the famine in the land began, just like God said it would, just like Joseph interpreted Guess who's forced to come to Egypt in order to survive and find food? Yeah, his brothers. the same guys who 20 years earlier, dirtbagged him and sold him into slavery. And again, through a series of events, Joseph meets up with these guys, his brothers, and he forgives them. He wipes the slate clean embraces them and you remember the passage we just read he takes care of them in Egypt here's my final question and we'll just close off for today how could Joseph do that I mean we read the story and you know it might be good reading for us but when you go through what I just tried to briefly explain to you everything that happened in his life and how it happened, and how wrongly he was tr- treated, disowned by his brothers, betrayed by his brothers, hated by his brothers. How in the world is Joseph allowed, how, how, what, what is in him that enables him to forgive? Well, here's the answer. Are you ready? For Joseph, forgiveness became a lifestyle. It became a way of life. Not an event-by-event event decision. It's what he did all of the time. It's what allowed God to favor him. I just explained to you during those 13 years on three different occasions, the scripture tells us that God favored him, God blessed him, God was with him. Because that, that tells me he, all during that time he was cleansing his heart of any bitterness, anything that could have been in there to, to, to build a block between him and God. You see, I don't have the time this morning to develop this. And again, you can read it for yourself and search it out. It'd be a good study. But after Potiphar's wife lied about him, after she accused him of something he never did and got him in big trouble, he didn't hold that against her. He forgave her every time it came up 70 times seven. After Potiphar threw him in prison, didn't believe him, refused to even hear his story. They had established a relationship. They they were working together well. He didn't even want to hear what Joseph had to say. Just got rid of him. After that happened, Joseph forgave him. Didn't hold it against him. Forgave him every single time it came up. That's why he had this beautiful relationship with God. No blocks, no problems. After he shared with the cupbearer and interpreted that dream for him, the cupbearer promised that he would go back to Pharaoh and tell him about Joseph, but he never did. He forgot all about Joseph. Joseph didn't hold that against him. Every time it came up, he offered forgiveness. I mean, 70 times 7. Do you see where I'm going with this? The more you forgive... The more you forgive. When you can allow the love of God to fill your heart with the same kind of love that Jesus expressed to us, forgiveness comes out eventually. Now, as we close out this morning, I want to show you a short video clip from the movie I Can Only Imagine a very inspirational movie that I highly recommend. Um, I Can Only Imagine tells the backstory of the strained relationship that lead singer, uh, Mercy Me lead singer Bart Millard had with his dad. And so it talks all about that and I want you to just watch this video clip in closing. So, you found God or something? Well, I've I've been listening to some preachers on the radio and uh, uh, reading the Bible and whatnot. What prayer? You said God answered a prayer. What prayer? This is seeing you again. Oh, Dad, I've been busy. Yeah. I guess you notice I've got a few projects going on around here. And I got one out in the garage I was hoping that you'd help me with. Uh, I've been uh, rebuilding that Jeep of mine. And, man, when I was your age, I made some memories in that Jeep. And I was hoping that maybe we could uh, get it running again. And, I don't know. Go somewhere. What are you doing? Do oh, I, well. I was just trying to make a memory. That's all. Well, that's kind of hard for me to do, dad. Because all the memories that we have together are bad. Uh, if you want some. Get some ketchup. Son, I. I know that I, I did some things. um, You did some things. I got a memory for you, Dad. That night you beat me so badly that I had to sleep on my stomach because I was so bruised. I couldn't move. If God can forgive everybody else, why can't he forgive me? and I want you to write these words. God, tonight I choose to forgive, and I want you to finish that sentence. Now, you may say to me, you don't know how hard it is for me to forgive this person. You don't know what they've done to me. And I'd say, I know it's hard. But if you have been forgiven by God, And he gives you the power to forgive others. I'm going to ask you to please bow your heads. We have a closing song here in just a moment as you reflect on some of the things that I've said and what you just saw in the video. If you're part of the Life Group launch and you're due upstairs to help out with that, I'm just going to ask you to go quietly at this time. Everybody else, please just hang in here for just a few minutes. I'd like to close us out in prayer right after we sing this song together. Please go ahead and be seated for just one moment. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads if you don't mind. Typically when we have a service like this and it's kind of pointed and we know the direction that it's going, we have a direction for how we want to close things out all week as I was preparing for today's service and during the prayer and fasting time as I was thinking about this moment right now I just decided that I wasn't going to make any decisions until we got here to this this moment and so I was fully depending upon the Lord to give us direction from this time on so here's what I'd like you to do I'd like you to think about the tremendous amount of mercy God has extended to you. That's what I want your closing thoughts to be centered around. I'm not gonna ask you to do what you saw in the video. If God were to impress upon your heart to do something like that, like if you had the choice and there's someone in your life that you need to show forgiveness to, who would that be? I'm not going to ask you to go there. What I want you to do right now is focus in on the tremendous mercy and compassion that God has for you. And Phil brought us there during the worship time, not knowing exactly where I was going to go with this message. There was an emphasis on the tremendous mercy that God has extended to us. And so, Father, in these closing moments, as we wait before you, prayerfully expecting and anticipating that the Holy Spirit is working deeply in our hearts now, bringing new wine out of us, Lord, bringing something out of us that's never been there before, allowing a love and an understanding and a compassion to flow from our hearts the way that you intended it, I pray, Lord, that you would give us, all of us in this place, a revelation of your mercy. What it took for you to go to the cross and you did that for me. You did it for me. It's hard to contain the feeling, Lord, of receiving such great grace. And it's easy to understand the actions of the woman in the first story that we shared, how much she wanted to express to you her gratefulness and her thanks for what you had done in her life and in her heart. You forgave us our debt. 500 pieces of silver if it was a dime. We identify more, Lord, with the one who had the most debt. And we thank you for what you've done. I thank you what you've done in my life. And I pray, Lord God, for a special gift to each person in this place today. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to close out our service time today. If you'd like to hang around the sanctuary for a few more minutes, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, whenever we launch our life groups and we have the rally days, we always go upstairs into the mezzanine, so all of the coffee, all the refreshments are up there. Please take some time and uh, be a part of our life group registration. We encourage you to check them out. Uh, I think we gave advance notice to people who have been a part of life groups Uh, this past week, and we have over 200 people already signed up. Uh, You're in good company when you're in a life group. Uh, Thank you so much for coming today. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.